Welcome to the Purpose and Principles podcast. I'm Max Brown, and my guests today, we have two of them, and I'm super excited about both, and I'm grateful for their time. I know people are very busy, but today we're talking in the healthcare industry with two executives from Intermountain Healthcare. Um, we're talking with Dr. Matt Pollard and, doc- and Mr. Scott Saxton, both leaders in the continuous improvement journey at Intermountain Healthcare. So Dr. Pollard, of course, is the Vice President of Continuous Improvement in Intermountain Healthcare. He has decades of experience, not only in, in his medical training, but also in continuous improvement, the lean journey, operational excellence. And he's a black belt in Lean Six Sigma. And a lot of people are probably thinking, wait a minute, how come our doctors have to be black belts in, uh, in, in lean? What's going on here? So we're going to talk to Dr. Pollard about that and how that's benefited his, his life. Scott Saxton is the Assistant Vice President of Continuous Improvement for Intermountain Healthcare and helps build this system as well. He came from a rich background at AutoLeave, where he was a, a large part of the manufacturing process and the journey at AutoLeave, of course, learning from the Toyota production system, as, as we'll talk about today and how that journey came. And then, Scott, you joined Intermountain and joined up with Dr. Pollard and, and many others in this journey. Um, in fact, recently, I had uh, Brian Crowell on our show as well. And of course, you guys are both associated and know him well uh, from the journey at Intermountain. So welcome both of you to the show. Thank you, Max. Thank you. Yeah, it, it is great. And I know that there's a lot of things going on in healthcare and you know we have to determine where we're going to spend our time. Thank you for taking a few minutes to spend with us today and to share with listeners, you know, what's the continuous improvement journey like in healthcare? And maybe Dr. Pollard, maybe that's where we start is why would healthcare care about this journey? And what was that transition like for you coming from a medical background to say, oh, you know what? Actually, we should be talking about this. Yeah, great question. One of my favorite things to talk about, Max. And, you know, you mentioned that Scott Saxton came and joined me and Intermountain Healthcare. And what I would say is, no, I joined Scott mm. and his team when he joined Intermountain Healthcare. And And I don't want to make this too personal, but I'll just, I think that it's a good summary of what happens with a lot of physicians in healthcare. Healthcare is very complicated. I know everybody hears that, but it it truly is extremely complicated. And right now it's even more complicated with the pandemic, but it's so layered with bureaucracy and inefficiencies. And I think that there are so many opportunities in healthcare that we may not even realize because um, we just don't have the mindset. And when I first um, became involved in leadership, just traditional physician leadership, I was just trying to make things better, but I didn't really have a method. And we had limited success, but it wasn't until I hitched my wagon to Scott Saxton and his team, they saw in me, I think a person that was Um, you know, a physician willing to jump in and experiment and try new things. But um, after I did a workshop with one of his team members, Justin Morley, um, and after being um, tutored by Scott a little bit, we did some site visits to other healthcare systems. And I realized this is not only what I was trying to do as a physician with improving a patient experience um, with respect to safety, and the quality of care and just the experience that you have when you interact with the healthcare system, the light bulb went on and I realized we really need this in healthcare. Continuous improvement, I think, can um, change the face of the healthcare experience. And in fact, it has in our organization and others. We've had very good success with this. And um, one of the um, the things that I'm constantly trying to do now is to help other physicians and really other any any leaders to understand what continuous improvement can can do for them. And I, I have a personal mission statement that centers around um, providing the perfect patient experience, um, and that's really what we aspire to, Max. So there's there's just so many opportunities, and um, we don't have many physician black belts. <laughs> you met, you mentioned that certainly not a requirement. Um, because that's not what it's necessarily about. We meet we meet them where they are. But um, what what a fantastic experience it's been, um, not just for me personally, but I think for the organization. You know, you you described a couple of things there that it strike me, and I'd love to get Scott's perspective on that. Thank you first off for. Well, I, let me just say it. You know, when we talk about lead with humility, I I think I just heard it, 
And I appreciate that because I think that there's a lot of people who, when they first hear this, they're kind of trying to figure out, wait, isn't that a, isn't that a manufacturing process? When in fact, it's a way of being process, right? It's, it's a way of actually helping us understand how, like you said, we create better patient outcomes, we create better patient outcomes, and we and we and we actually live better lives as as healthcare providers as well, right? Where there's less frustration, and like you said, with the bureaucracy and the challenges that come in a very complex systems and life and death decisions every single day, we need ways to be able to think about that differently, and and this provides one of those really sustainable paths to better outcomes. Thank you for that, Scott. When you first came in, this journey wasn't was was just an idea. Can you kind of walk us through that? And and I know it, you know, with AutoLeave, you'd been doing this for a long time. It was a Shingo Prize recipient company, saved millions and millions of dollars, tens of thousands of ideas every year as we would take companies to AutoLeave and go on tour. And now I'm grateful to say that you, you know, you've both hosted us graciously with many other companies that I've been able to bring to to Intermountain and experience the same experience. Can you just walk us through that a little bit? Why, why this journey? And how did we get to Intermountain Healthcare to where now you guys both get to be in these positions and say, this isn't just a sidebar anymore? Yeah, great, great question. It, it has been quite a journey. And, um, you know, I've been very fortunate. I was very fortunate to be trained by Toyota and a sensei to really understand and apply these and be very successful as a team uh, doing this, uh, we had we had a lot of uh, great success around that. And because of that, the shingle, as you know, we had a lot of people coming in the door. And uh, I remember our first phone call from healthcare and it had always been manufacturing. I said, well, no, well, sure, why not? The principles all apply when they have a customer and they need to improve safety, quality, efficiency, everything, right? And so, uh, you know, credit to Tim Pearson who came through the door uh, the CEO of the North region of the time who came in and saw the value of this and said, you know, I, he, he told me at the end of that tour that uh, we had frontline employees much more engaged than even managers in his department owning the business really and, and driving for results. He said, I, I want that. So we started to work a little bit together, did some training and, and helped them a little bit. And, uh, they tried it for a little while and just realized they needed a little bit more horsepower around this and, and hired me to come in. That was almost 10 years ago. I, I can't believe how fast time has gone. And so uh, we started and I knew this was going to be an uphill challenge. You know, this was a pilot that Tim had uh, it was allowed to do. Um, this was a ground level grassroots effort <laughs> to an organization who's very large and successful. I mean, you look at the odds of that in continuous improvement and lean, it's pretty low, <laughs> very, very low to get a system-wide adoption from a leadership standpoint. But we started it and we rolled up our sleeves and we went to work and uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And my biggest fear, quite honestly, was I knew we could do really good work at the front line, but I was very concerned about engaging with the physicians. Mm-hmm. I know that... Uh, not being a clinical person, that would be difficult. Mm-hmm. And so um, early on, we started looking for uh, someone or s- some persons who could really help with that transition and to really find a champion in, in uh, a physician. And uh, fortunately, we, we uh, came across paths with uh, Dr. Pollard and he was all in. I remember one day he said, this is so awesome, Scott. I'd quit my job to do this full time. I said, well, let's see what we can do about that. So I <laughs> went up to Tim and we, uh, we got a contract for 10 hours a week. And then it quickly became 20 hours a week. And then shortly after that, it was full time, right, Matt? <laughs> right. Yeah, full time plus. Full time plus. And, you know, I, my, fun, my fun story to remind Dr. Pollard is I, I, I remind him that uh, one day I'd be working for him because mm. He is what Intermount needed with his skill sets and knowledge of the system as a physician, as a clinician, and just really good at this. And he's done excellent at uh, really helping engage this culture across Intermountain. And yeah. so credit to our leaders. Uh, this would not have been successful early on. They saw the value of what we were trying to do. And, uh, you know, they wanted to, to embrace it. And so they asked him to be through a visit from the COO, 
that came to see what we were doing. So why are you so successful in the North? Mm-hmm. Well, because we're applying continuous improvement. No, really tell us why you're so successful. Continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. So we got her up here to, to see what we were doing. And she's, this is fantastic. Tim, go forward. And that's what we did. Yeah. And, 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 and as you, as we see today, the results are that now you're both working in this full-time plus and, and you have a team of people that work on this. Maybe help me walk through that tipping point. And I, I know what you're saying, like, okay, we came to the North, we saw that, you know, these, these, these people were getting results. What does it mean to get results? What is it, what, what are we talking about now when you talk about the results today at Intermountain Healthcare versus where we were even just a few years ago, perhaps? We could talk about that um, topic alone for an entire podcast or more, Max. I mean, I, I think that Intermountain Healthcare has always been known as an outstanding organization. We've we already had great results, um, very well respected in the realms of quality and safety, performing very well financially, such that that enables us as a nonprofit to give back to the community. And so, so, you know, one might say, what was your burning platform? Why did you need to do something like this when you were doing so well already? Frankly, I, I worried about that as a barrier, but I, I want to double click on something that Scott said about the, the leadership involvement with this. I think that is what catalyzed this um, transition for us. Um, of some leaders that were humble enough to recognize that there was something more out there and, and that became champions in this because Intermountain was going through a transition at the, at, at the time that we took this system wide, mm-hmm. we had senior leadership changes right. and the new CEO came and there's the question, what's going to happen with our continuous improvement efforts, right? This, um, when he came, we already had some systems in place such that we were beginning to do strategy deployment well across the organization. We had never done that. Um, we had tied our, our daily tiered escalation huddle systems together. So he had immediate sensitivity to operations. He knew what was happening in his organization within a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think just helping those senior leaders capture the vision of what does it mean to create an environment where every single caregiver, which we is what we call our employees, Every single caregiver comes to work and they know that what they're doing that day contributes not just to their team's strategy, but to the greater strategy of the organization. And aligning that strategy is something that we really had never done. We've we've performed well, but we've never aligned our strategy like that. And then to be able to escalate challenges and problems um, and all the way up to this executive level and within 24 hours, provide support the team's need at the front line. That was that was a transformational experience for leaders that had very successful, highly decorated careers, mm-hmm. but they they saw that th- this was different, different than what they had been taught in their MBAs and, and in their MHA programs. Um, it was tangible. And um, we started to see, um, well, first we had better definition of what it meant to succeed because we now had strategy and we could visualize it. We had our fundamentals, we organized our care and fundamentals. So we now had defined KPIs in safety, quality, experience and access and equity and stewardship, um, engaged caregivers, et cetera. We didn't have that before. Um, And each one of those areas has had um, improvement year over year since we started doing this. And we're reaching um, national benchmarks or surpassing national benchmarks in many of those areas, I think um, because of the way that we're galvanizing and aligning those efforts across the system. So it's hard to summarize several years of experience in, um, in a few sentences, but I think that um, the leader engagement and ownership of this is what has catalyzed our success. Mm-hmm. Scott, what, what, what would you add? If I could... If I could just add on to that, early on when I when I first came to Intermountain, I was curious about how they improved because they they were obviously improving. Mm-hmm. But I was at I would ask leaders and team members, "What is your method? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you go about improving?" And I filled up a whole sheet of paper on what they thought was 
the method of improvement. And it was really kind of all over the map. And I think when we came together, that tipping point was we could convince our leaders um, the importance of having a model and a system that does this, a management system that is a playbook that we can all understand as leaders what to do. How do we set strategy? How do we see problems? How do we engage employees? How do we follow up for success? And that's, you know, that's where I think a huge tipping point was that our leaders could see that it was just not this random effort all over the place. It was really a model that we could teach all of our leaderships to do, to do. And what was amazing to watch that language take place, it was like, you know, you'd hear some aspects of this improvement method over here and then another improvement method over here, but nobody came together on a playbook. And when we were able to do that and teach our leaders this, that's when I think we really got some significant momentum. You know, Scott, Scott and I, yeah, go ahead. Um, sorry, Max. I just want to add really quickly. I, I think not only were they um, improving, you know, using different methods, but they were all defining success differently, even from one department to the next. Now, I don't want to make it sound like we we didn't have a concerted effort to do that because we we did have um, across the enterprise. But um, when you got down to the the frontline level, um, they were defining success differently. And so to just be able to know what a, a KPI was, a key performance indicator. So you may have an annual goal, but why is that your annual goal? What is that pointing to? What KPI is that improving? Just introducing that language alone and helping them define success um, was transformational. And that was hard. And like I said, in an organization that was already um, succeeding in, in so many areas. Well, and it's and like you mentioned a couple of times, and, and I think I think for listeners who don't understand what Intermountain Healthcare is, maybe we should even just let's talk about the scale for a moment. We're talking at the time over 40,000 employees in multiple systems in very complex ways. And you can describe that way better than I can. Perhaps just explain, you know, what are we talking about when we say, yeah, we're impacting this this system. Some people are thinking, well, maybe one or 2,000 people. No, 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 no. We're talking, yeah. we're talking, you're managing ultimately like micro cities in dozens of places, tens of thousands of people. And now you're even acquiring and getting bigger than that. I mean, the, the system is much bigger than some people realize. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's an entire medical group of uh, clinicians, physicians, and, and mid-level practitioners. Um, all of the inpatient hospitals, you know, at the time, 22 hospitals, now 23 uh, plus hospitals, um, an insurance arm, an entire supply chain, um, et cetera. So you're right, 40,000 40, employees. And um, to think that we actually were able to deploy, and I don't love the word deploy, but to do this across the entire organization in a matter of a few years, and now we're moving on to the next phases, it's kind of mind-blowing, but, you know, several things um, enabled that, that some of which we've, we've talked about, but yeah, that's the scope of what we are trying to do, Max. And now, as you've mentioned, we're, we're growing, we've, um, we're, we're getting into several other, other states and it's, the, the future's bright. And it's and it's incredible to me because, like you said, there's there's all kinds of reasons why these these efforts fail, and mostly, in my opinion, it comes down to oftentimes, hey, we're already successful doing it another way, or this is kind of a weird leap that we're not sure about. It sounds more like theory rather than practical, uh, uh, you know, a practical application. Or, hey, I'm a doctor here. I've been trained in healthcare. I'm not, you know, the factory kind of mentality of this rather than thinking about how this actually helps us improve patient outcomes. How do you, how do you speak to doctors and, and those who, and not necessarily even a doctor, right, but even an executive who's been successful another way to say, let's give this a try. Let's give this a try because the compensation systems, let's be honest, for a senior executive, there's not a lot of incentive for taking risks. <laughs> <laughs> right? You could yeah. really put yourself in jeopardy if you do this wrong. And and I've spoken to a lot of those executives in your mountain, particularly when this deployment was happening, as you said, during the executive turnover or the change, you know, with the new CEO coming in, whether this business model would be accepted because there is a business model, right? There's a continuous improvement operations and an operational excellence model that people follow. And Dr. Pollard, I think what you mentioned there by saying that when he came in and he could see that these systems were working, 
that they were producing results and that he could feel a pulse of the entire system, that's special. That gives us the credibility to say, guys, this is bigger than just a theory. Yeah, and he came from an organization where he was very successful, had done some amazing things. So it, it, it really did take some humility to, um, to just un- try to understand what this was before making those, um, you know, the decision to, to pull the plug on this. And I, I think we've just crossed the point now where you couldn't take CI out of Intermountain Healthcare. Um, it's just, it's the way we do our business now. I was, um, I was with our executive team in an operations review this week, and um, we were reflecting on the success of the past year, despite the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And the CEO paused and pointed out that a lot of the success, really, we, we give credit to the way that we're deploying strategy and, and the operating model and how it's enabling us to keep a focus um, and they gave me a, a couple minutes at the end just to make a few comments. And, and I said, it isn't just the past year, it's the past five years. You as a team could have abandoned this philosophy, but you stuck with this. You saw what the benefits were. And as we've grown into this, it's really accelerated the efforts. And, and you know, Max, you talk about the physicians. Um, it's not too hard to translate this for physicians. And I like a, a quote from Chip and Dan Heath in their book, Switch. They, they talk about resistance um, is just lack of clarity. It's not, that, it's not that physicians don't want to do this. Physicians are scientists, and this is the scientific method, really, that we're just operationalizing. So you think of an A3. An A3 is very consistent with what physicians do with every single patient encounter. Yeah. What's the problem statement? What's the current state of things? What's the target state? What interventions and experiments do we want to run? What are the results? What am I going to do about it? And then rinse and repeat, right? Physicians do that all day long. And so when you help them translate that idea to doing their work, yes, then the light bulb can come on in their heads and they realize um, we don't want you to just come to work to improve outcomes for your patients, but we can use this same philosophy to improve your work. We can take the pebbles out of your shoe to make you more efficient. That enables you to spend more time doing things that you love, which is being with patients and less time with this administrative work. So let's, let's work together. And it, um, it it does require, you know, some experimentation with them and some cajoling and condensing. But when you get there, when, when the lights go on in a physician or a physician leader, it's powerful because yes. they bring they bring a lot with them, a lot of credibility um, to what we're trying to accomplish. And we've been fortunate to have some physician leaders that have helped us do that. Well, and I've heard a few examples of that, particularly when I've been on those visits with other executives. And when I hear those physician leaders that say, I would never go back to the way I used to do it because this is just such a better way of not only not only of getting a better patient outcome, but of the way we treat each other and the way we work together and the way we trust each other to create those patient outcomes and the way we've aligned to do that. It's powerful. And and I think it changed lives of some of the executives that I was standing next to when we were on some of those tours, listening and visiting and going to those Gembas and, and hearing those stories. What are some specific examples that maybe stand out in your mind, Scott, where you've seen these improvement processes where that light did go on? Because I think as Dr. Pollard mentioned, you know, the light does have to turn for people. And it's not that we're resistant to change just to be resistant to change. We all want to do better, better work. We just want to know that this is going to be the way, right? And, and, and by nature, some of us, frankly, have been cynical because we've seen efforts, change efforts, if you will, that have failed or that haven't been as successful. And so I, I, I get it when people have a natural resistance to, oh, great, here comes the next thing. But what we're talking about here isn't just the next thing. It's not flavor of the month. It's not the sugar high. This is about sustainable outcomes. It's about changing the way we work. Maybe an example or two of how that's changed, because we're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars of cost savings at Intermountain. Dr. Pollard, I think it's also fascinating that even today, this week, you guys are still talking about the fact that these business models are here for the right reason. And we have to continue to remind ourselves to stay on that purpose because otherwise we can take it for granted. Just fascinating. Please, Scott, I'll, I'll let you take it. And then you guys, I'll just shut up and listen for a bit. <laughs> well, well, thank you. And, and you know, it, it really is about in, engagement. Um, 
early on when we're working with our leaders and you ask them, what's your method for improvement? And, you know, how, how do you go about this work? We, what, do you want to fix all the problems yourself as a leader mm-hmm. or do you want to engage the entire team? Mm-hmm. And if you're going to engage the entire team, the people who do the work, you have to have systems that do that. And so I remember having these conversations with Tim. He'd always ask me and say, are we there yet, Scott? Are we there yet? And I'd say, no, we're not. We're not. We're not even close. Because the effort was being done in the beginning by the CI team or the continuous improvement team because they hadn't really seen the value. They hadn't practiced it. I remember going up sometime later to his office. I said, I'm seeing some results. I'm seeing some turning points. Because what's important is, is what matters when the CI person's not there. <laughs> the team takes these principles and teachings and they do it. They, they, see, they work with their team. They have a great performance board where they can see, we're not doing so well, team, in this category that supports this KPI. What can we do about it? How do we engage our, our, our front line to give improvement ideas and, and working in, in through project efforts to really make a difference there. You have to know the score every day. And so just for your information, we have 2,500 huddles that take place every day. And part of that is to engage the team to see how are we doing? What we're checking the pulse today, we're not doing good here. So that, that took some time and effort because huddles in the beginning were, hey, it's Max's birthday today, yay. And watch out for this patient over here. But you really have to have leaders that, that really know how to engage a team. And that, that was some of the heavy lifting early on. And we had some failures there. We had leaders that think, nah, I'm just more comfortable with command and control and tell people what to do. Uh, but when you really get down to it, um, it's really a, a mathematics game here. <laughs> do you want one person improving or do you want the entire team improving? And it's just... It, it, it really, you, you can't argue with that. And especially when you involve the people who do the work every day and uh, teaching that humility to leaders that if you really think you know how to fix this problem when you're not in the trenches every day, you're kidding yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, and that took a little bit of effort, you know, early on, but uh, you know, to their credit, um, most of our leaders, we still have some people who are resistant, but uh, most of the leaders have seen that value. Yeah. And that, that this is what it's all about. And, and it's a much funner, as I tell leaders when we train them, it's much more fun to lead in that way well, <laughs> versus trying to do it all yourself. <laughs> and I, I just want to push one button there for a minute. 2,500 huddles. A lot of people all standing at a huddle for a moment. And like you said, at first, they weren't as effective as they could be. And when we think about the amount of money we're spending for those 2,500 huddles to occur, there's got to be some value there. What was the transition that made it so powerful? And, and maybe, maybe I'll add, every time I brought businesses and company, other companies to come visit Intermountain and, and continue to do so as we had not long ago, but when we, when we had a client base there, three months later I would come and the, the visual management boards would look completely different. The huddles have improved. The conversations have changed. And it was just showing how dynamic the learning was. The learning curve was steep. People were continuing to improve it. It was never just compliance with the status quo for me. But why do, you, why do you think those 2,500 huddles are worth it? Because I have teams right now that say, well, we've heard about this, this huddle thing and, you know, tier management and, and, yeah, continuous improvement. We all try to do that, but uh, tell me why it's worth it. Max, I, I had a, um, an executive come to me a few years ago. They're no longer with the organization, by the way. Yeah. Um, but, but they came to me and they had done the math on all the huddles multiplied by um, salaries and, and, and wages. It was some huge number. And it's like, we're spending all this money on huddles. Um, you know, so it's a really good point, you know, what, what you bring up. But what they didn't realize is all the time that they're now not spending in meetings where they're discussing these things a month or two later when it's not even fresh in their memories anymore. Um, so there, there were so many quick wins early on. We, when we, we were doing huddles everywhere, but we hadn't connected them vertically. So we just wanted in one hospital, we wanted to just try to get all of the units to report just three things to the hospital leadership team. 
Um, I think it was uh, falls with injury, medication errors, and serious safety events. Is that right, Scott? So, um, and and the, even the nurse leader at the time was like, I just don't know if we're not going to see that this that much information come up. Um, and without revealing too much dirty laundry, the number of medication errors that were escalating at that time was so significant. And the nurse leader didn't really understand that that was happening on a daily basis in our hospitals. This is what was happening with patients. We need to find a way to improve this. So we quickly realized, wow, there's a lot of information that we're learning so we can react to. That's the sensitivity to operations I was um, talking about before. So when Dr. Harrison, our current CEO, came, our huddles um, were to the point where we were able to escalate things that were having a system impact. A simple example, um, a CT scanner down at one hospital, an isolated event, who knows? But then a week later, when another CT scanner is, is down and the first one is still down, and then a few days later, another one goes down, that, now you're seeing a pattern, right? Yep. So you're starting, you're, you're escalating this information. And in, in, in this case, it was downtimes. We realized that when these machines were going down uh, and we had to call the, the, uh, the vendor, they had to bring in supplies that were actually housed in Europe. So they weren't even on shore. Imagine now with our supply chain problems, what that would be like, right? Um, but it was taking weeks just to get the replacement parts um, from Europe stateside. And we would not have realized that if we hadn't escalated these um, radiology machine downtimes. So we worked with the vendor. They actually started housing some of those um, replacement parts here stateside. So not only did it benef benefit Intermountain, it benefited um, the whole country, or at least everyone that was using that vendor. And there's there's so many other examples like that where it, it, it kind of turns into pattern recognition. Once you do this enough, I mean, we do track and trend the data, mm -hmm. but you do it enough that you, you start to see these patterns. So you can double click on it, assign an action, and resolve things within 24 to 48 hours that used to take us three or four months, yeah. or maybe even longer, to even know that it was happening, right? Yes. So those are some of those early experiences where people are like, oh, wow, this huddle process is really making a difference. And look how quickly we're solving problems. And to what end? Number one, because it's improving the lives of our patients. And number two, we're making life better for our own team members that are taking care of these patients. So those are just, I think, a few quick examples with just the huddle system, um, that I think had a big impact on the organization. Awesome. Scott, please. Could I just share on that too? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, you know, in the beginning, teams don't know how to improve very well. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little clunky in the beginning when you put up a performance board in a huddle and you say, now go improve, you know, around, you can see your problem, but they don't know how to fix the problem. And so early on, there's a transition you have to go through. And I think that's what sometimes executives and leaders get a little frustrated with. You have to invest in people to raise their skills so they know how to do this. And, you know, in the beginning, it was cla it was classical, you know, typical. They put up a, a, a KPI. We're not doing very well. We've got to work harder. Yeah. Got to work harder. You know, they, they didn't know how to really break down processes or use leading measures or, uh, engage the team around ideas or do effective projects. And that's where we were able to really help them through education and continuing that effort. You don't become an expert in solving problems overnight and, and, and engaging team. It takes work. And just like you're learning how to ride a bike, you're a little, you're crashing and you're skidding your knees, of, you know, in the beginning, but after a while you get pretty good at it. And so some of our leaders, many of our leaders are excellent at, engaging and solving problems and using data effectively and lead measures and, and <clears throat> instead of just focusing on an outcome saying we've got to do better we got to do better we got to do better right and so that that's been a part of that and that's what leaders need to know that this is not a a, a very quick easy thing to do it takes effort but we promise them if you're consistent with this uh, this is the way we do work it will always pay off. I've never lost that bet in my career. If you're consistent of this and you put effort into it and you follow up to it, you'll get better results than you've ever gotten before. I make that promise and I've never lost that bet. Yeah. 
I, I, I agree with you 100%. And every experience where I've been, and I've been able to work with so many different companies, not unlike yourselves in these experiences where once you see it and you see how it works and you see how it changes lives, it changes everything. It is worth the effort. And another point that I would just love to point, when I when I was visiting one day at a food services team, I think, I don't remember which which hospital we were in, but we were in a food services group um, at one of the local hospitals for Intermountain. And I was listening to the team try to solve the problem of how do we make sure the broccoli is not overcooked, but that it's also still warm when it goes to another building in a patient on several floors away from the food services team. And it was the whole team trying to problem solve for that. It was the entire team trying to figure out how do we get new eggs when there's a shortage on eggs? How do we do this? How do we do that? And how do we solve these problems so that we have a better nutritional standard for the patients that we all love? Or, or, this, or the sanitation team who's cleaning, you know, sterilizing equipment for operating rooms and realizing that their metric for success is really how do we reduce patient harm? And we do that by the way we clean our, 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 all, these, all these tools, and when they go to the operating rooms and they talk to doctors who are operating, now they have a new appreciation because they went to the Gemba where the work was happening, and now we clean them differently and we track that and we track what 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 produces infections and what doesn't and how we can improve those processes so that we can actually improve better patient outcomes. I was just, I was, every time I've been to Intermountain, and I don't say this lightly, I've been so deeply moved by so many different experiences that I wish at the time we could have recorded them. And of course, we've never done so because we we protect you know privacy and, and patient care, and we've never pulled a phone out when we've been there. But if I could have recorded them, I would be so... I'd be so grateful because, you know, sometimes I forget some of these stories. And then when I talk with you, it triggers me and, and helps me to remember. Yeah, it's, it's fun, Max. And I, you, know, you said something before about, um, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but you can lose the newness of this a little yeah. bit. Um, we, we have to be careful that we, we don't lose sight of where we've been, yes. where we are now, and also where we're heading. And by the way, I, every time I do a podcast or I, I talk with another organization, I have this fear that they think that we've got it all figured out. <laughs> we, we have so many things we're, we're still working on, right? I mean, there's just, there are so many opportunities and we don't have every leader engaged. We don't have every team engaged. And there are things that uh, we thought were hardwired and, and they're not. And um, and we're learning lessons with, with all that. But what we do have, I think, in our organization, and for different reasons, not just because of continuous improvement, but we, we do now have a culture where everyone is talking about strategy the same way. Everyone is, um, everyone has initiative reviews and operations reviews, and we're doing step back reviews. That It takes effort to keep that going. It's the it's the sandcastle always trying to fall, fall apart it requires constant vigilance. Um, but it, it has become kind of hardwired. We've, we've hit our stride with some of these things and we're ready to go to the next level with this because it's, it's just common the way that we do our work now. And I, you know, I do want to give credit to some of the early efforts at Intermountain Healthcare with continuous improvement. There was a physician here, um, his name is Dr. Brent James, who used to teach a course called the Advanced Training Program. He was before his time. Um, he was teaching quality improvement and really very consistent with what we were trying to do with continuous improvement. And I think one of the missing ingredients during his day was an operating model that could take those quality principles that people were learning and allow teams to actually operationalize it and continue the work um, at the frontline level in the organization. And um, the operating model has, I think, accelerated our quality efforts um, just because it now gives teams the opportunity to not say, I'm not just going to do one project and be done, but what are our KPIs and what other projects are we going to work on? So it's, um, it's kind of magical, I think, the way that all this worked out. We are, to some degree, standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, I appreciate that you had recognized that. I, I really... Thank you for that. You know, there are so many people, and as you as you bring up just one example that that we do stand on the shoulders of, and 
whether it be senseis from Toyota production or from other people that have brought this to our lives and other people now that have moved to other roles. I've, I've learned a tremendous amount from just being able to have my visits and opportunities to engage with all of you as well. As, as listeners are thinking right now, okay, you guys have convinced me that there's something here, right? Or those who've been on this journey for a while, but they're kind of experiencing the same kind of um, uh, headwinds, if you will, or the, the constant challenges we all deal with. Even in very mature systems, I still believe that if we're not reminding ourselves of what the real, the real purpose is, and going back, Dr. Pollard, like you said, to remember where we were and where we're headed, that we can forget. Even in a very mature system, sometimes, even in Toyota, they'll say this, right? In fact, my sensei, Ritsuo Shingo, was the president of Toyota China. And one day we were walking through a factory in Japan, a Toyota factory. And he said, Maxon, Maxon, come here. And he said, this is us forgetting the way. We have forgotten the Toyota way. And I went, wow, Ritsuo Shingo's teaching me something here and I need to listen. And every time he would wave me over, Maxon, Maxon, come here, I would listen. And it taught me a lot. So what is that second stage for you, Dr. Pollard? What does that next step look like as, you're, as you continue this journey? What, and, and, and maybe, Scott, the second part of that is, what would you recommend for those who are still struggling on this journey to get maybe that executive support? Or where do they go? How, what, what is the next step when they're just frustrated saying, you know what, we've done a bunch of lean tools and that's not working because we know that if we just focus on lean tools, that's not where this is at. That's not what this is. And let's be very clear. It continues improvement and lean tools get confused. And I, I don't think they're the same. And we could do a whole lot, like you said, Dr. Pollard, we could do a whole other podcast just on that conversation. But yeah. what do you guys think? Yeah. Um, tools are enablers of culture yes. is, is what I like to say. And um, so we've, we've established um, the operating model has become our way of improving and we've stabilized our operations, we've aligned our strategy, and um, now we're turning our efforts towards helping our leaders understand the importance of closed loop systems, because the, the way you sustain this is by leaders, not by the CI team. The leaders have to understand the importance of closed loop systems, you know, um, through layered follow-up and you can nerd out with, you know, we do commissibai boards and, and things like that, but that's the kind of thing that we, you do need to have in place is, is how do we sustain this? Um, but now we're, we're blending our quality management system with the operating model and um, we're finding ways, we're, we're creating systems. I love to talk about systems of systems and we're creating systems that enable us to identify, vet, and escalate best practices and spread them across the organization. You, 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 you go to step back reviews and you see these great things that yes. teams are doing and you ask, well, how can we get everyone else to do this, right? Um, it's super complicated, yes. um, especially in an, in an organization like ours, but we're creating this system where we are enabled to do that and we're combining that with some of this layered follow-up and these closed loop systems and I think it's going to take us to even higher levels of safety, quality, high reliability, and improved experience for our patients. So that's that's where we're, where we're turning our effort now. And what I've told the leaders is, look, we need you to own the strategy and the, the um, visualization of metrics and the daily huddles and the improvement, because we as a CI team now to, need to turn our focus to helping the system create these systems of systems while you guys continue to work on the other. Mm -hmm. um, we, we don't have infinite resources, so we're trying to transfer that ownership to them. I mean, they already own it in many instances, but um, that's where we're headed. And I'm, this is, this is why you do this. This next phase is crucial. And I think that we've got the right ingredients to make it happen. Scott, mm -hmm. what would you add? I think you covered that well, Matt. And I think just, you know, answering Max's question about, you know, how do you continue this? How do you, when you're frustrated and, you know, how do you go forward as leaders to make sure that uh, this is successful? You know, there's no easy button here. You know, anything worth having, you've got to put the effort in and you have to be consistent. And that really what, what it comes down to. But I will give a, a couple of things that I've, I've seen work really well. And that is... Um, Success and winning is contagious. Mm. And 
And when you can work with a team, it doesn't have to be, sometimes they get wrapped up around the, all the, the different things they're trying to learn and understand. It really is simple as let's make things better for our patient. Yeah. You know, what's wrong. Let's just apply a few tools and be consistent and, and go get some wins. And so when you get a win, um, you promote it and you highlight it and you acknowledge it and you thank those who made the win possible. And then you promote that to leaders. If you have a leader that's not on board with this and can't see the value, get a great result, make a difference, bring them down and show them that mm -hmm. and show them the excitement in the, in the, in the team that did this. Mm -hmm. There's no leader in the world that wouldn't appreciate that. Right. Yeah. They, they love that. That's how uh, Laura Kaiser saw the value of what we were doing. She was so excited to see the results and the energy and excitement from the teams that were doing this and that she, we want this. And so you've got to promote it. And so don't give up. Um, you know, if you, if you don't get the results you need, well, you know, that result didn't work. Try another variable, you know, try another lead measure, stay with it. You, if you, if you have your eyes on the prize, you will, you'll get there. You just have to identify the prize <laughs> and engage the team and be consistent and you'll get there and then promote it and, and then, and bring leaders in to see that. that that's what I would encourage leaders to do. And that's really what we did. That's how we started a grassroots effort to get where we're at today, that leaders saw the value in this. You can't say all these fancy terms if they don't see any results. That's right. They don't care. That's right. right. You and have and to understandably, show right? understandably so. If, if we're not seeing results, this is just all fun and games. So no, we don't have time for that. Yep. We really have to create tangible results. And that's why I love when I can, when we can emphasize, you know, hey, this is our purpose. These are the principles we live by. This is the expected behavior we want to see to be able to deliver the outcome, the result that we want to see. Therefore, I will choose the systems and the principles, the processes that will support the right behavior to achieve the right result. And because I need to do that, I'll pick and choose the tools that I need for that to be true. Instead of the other way around, oh, I got a KPI, you know, this, this big number that most people don't align towards or don't understand. And particularly at the front line, they might feel like that's a very far away goal that I don't know how to improve. And, and, and then they say, well, and, and here's this tool and we're going to force you to all use this tool, but they don't understand why or what the tool is about. And so it's not changing behavior. So it creates frustration. And we stand in a huddle where we all just say someone's birthday today and we feel like it's a big waste of time. Right. I, I was, I, I know, I know we got to go, but oh my gosh, you guys, I wish we could do this again, or at least have like a second session, maybe at some point, this has been such a fantastic discussion. And I would just summarize by saying I was at a different hospital system when a young nurse, we were standing there in a, in a, in an operating room and there was, we were standing in a tier and she just said, this was just such a complete waste of time. And so I sat down with her and I said, what would have made it more effective for you? And she said, well, if we would have talked about these three things, it would have been so much better. I said, have you ever shared that with anybody? Well, well, no. <laughs> I said, okay. So maybe if you shared those, what would that look like? And what would that be like if we spent our times on those three things instead? And I think, I think we can all own this. We can all work towards this end. And I think that's what I see when I come to Intermountain. I appreciate this dialogue. I appreciate your humility today to talk about where you are and to say, hey, we're still on this journey. We're still reminding people and working on these things, that we're doing these things. But at the end of the day, I mean, if we could pull up, you guys have the PowerPoints. I know because I've seen them the PowerPoints of how many lives have been improved, the millions and millions and millions of dollars that have been saved, and the testimonies of as so many executives. I had one executive in Intermountain, I wish I could have recorded this as well, when he said, we were building a new hospital, right, down in, down in Southern, like a 5400 South or something in Salt Lake, I forget the, the address there, but that new hospital system was being built at the same time we were doing this, and he said, I did not believe we could do both at the same time, it was crazy. And he said, in hindsight, I could have never helped build that new system without this. I could never do it the same. Dr. Pollard, Scott Saxton, I just want to say thank you guys both for what you're doing out there. And thank you for trying to, well, for just believing in what you do. Any last words of wisdom for us before we, we close this up? I know you guys have got to go too, but um, any last words of wisdom for our listeners today? I'll go first, if that's okay. Yeah, please. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I did 
we have seen, I think the challenge, and we're to the point, and I think Matt addressed this a little bit, that, you know, you have to keep, be vigilant around this and you can't just get into the check the box exercise. It really takes effort to make sure that we're doing all the right things. And we've seen, I, I could give you many, many examples where organizations were at the top of their game in this effort and they're no more. They, they lost their way, as you talked about. Even Toyota has said many times that they, they've lost their way. They've got to get back to the basics. And I think that's hard, hard to do sometimes where we just keep doing this and then we get in this repetitious mode you have to kind of reinvent yourself and really be honest to go in and say we're not so good here we're not so good here and have those meaningful conversations with with leaders and and then set that's where that strategy is so important you can lose your way quickly if you don't really set here's where we're trying to go and reflect on that often and so i really like that message and i feel like you know that's where we're about that age right now that stage where that can be applicable right now. Uh, we've been doing this long enough to where it could be start to become repetitious and not effective. And so, um, it's a constant reminder for our leaders that we we need to we need to be aware of this and do the basics each day. Yeah, thank you. I have two quick thoughts, each of which could be an individual podcast, Max. So maybe we'll have to reconnect. I love it. But yeah. um, the first is. Number one, to be open-minded. I learned this as a physician transitioning to operations um, and not just operations, but a whole new way of thinking. And um, I didn't get to grow up being tutored by, uh, you know, other industries, you know, and some of the mentors that you had, but I did spend time um, in factories, you know, when I, I did kind of a, I did a master's program that was really wise with making us go to the Gamba. And I went into, you know, steel factories and, you know, window shops and in other locations. And because we were open-minded going in, we learned so much that we've been able to translate. And I always tell people, keep an open mind and, and be aware of what, what you may learn. And I guess my final comment would be, um, you alluded to this before. This is not about the tools that will shut your effort down. You know, if you have a project-based focus, you it will just shut you down. This is about um, creating a culture. It's about respect for people, for every individual, and about um, really changing the hearts and minds of all of us together. And that takes effort, and it takes time. We're a little impatient, but something like this. You'll see some results, but but ultimately it does take time. But um, anyway, thanks, Max. It's been fun to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you both. And to all our listeners out there, thank you for listening to the podcast today. Have a great week and we'll uh, we'll do it again. Bye.